All right. Well, good morning. Grab your Bibles and let's turn to Romans chapter 16. It's kind of a melancholy day for me. I'm excited to be done with it, but I'm not excited to be done with it. This is the last sermon you'll hear. Well, okay, I'm going to back, I'm going to back that up a little bit. The, the last sermon you'll hear from Romans for a little bit. I, I'll probably end up preaching from Romans again. So Romans chapter 16, we're going to look at the last, and, and I, I'm going to cover the whole chapter kind of again, but I'm going to focus on one particular part. Take a look at the last few verses, 25 through 27. You made your way there? Let's stand in honor and reverence of the Word of God. As we read this passage, here's what it says. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept in secret, kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God that you've given us, and we thank you for your will. Help us, O oh God, today. Lord, there, as we close out this passage of Scripture and out, out of this book, we pray that we have gleaned some things about your gospel and how it pertains to all men, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but all men. How that none can attain and that all are in need of a Savior, a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. Help us, O oh God. Help us to close this out, to know you better. Bless these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so as we get started this morning, I'm going to go back to the beginning of 16 and kind of push forward a little bit. I, I've got some things that I meant to cover last week that I didn't. And then I'm going to finish uh, with what I didn't cover last week, which were these three or four verses at the end here. So bear with me a little bit. At the beginning of this, this sermon, it's called The Love for the Saints. Paul's writing here, of course, to the church at Rome. But I need you to understand that this is a very personal epistle for the apostle. Every time when, when we talk about the love for the saints, here we're talking from a pastoral perspective. Paul's writing this so that we can grab a hold of some truth here. There is a love that binds that is beyond just the pastor and congregation relationship. And every pastor who's, who's been a pastor of any church for any length of time comes to that place where we're talking about relationships a lot. I have relationships here with some of the men, and, and all of you really are, are my friends and my family. I, I would count it count you all so, if, even if you don't think I am, I promise you, you are my, you're my friends and my family. And I protect my friends and my family. And that's my responsibility as the pastor of the church, is to protect my, my family and the flock. So I'm going to do that. Now one of the things that you grab a hold here from, from this perspective is the commendation. We talked about this a little bit last week. Let's go back to the verse, first verse of the, of the chapter. Here's what it says. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Now he goes through and talks about her. Then he says, Greek, Priscilla, and Aquila. And I want you to notice something, that he's naming names. And it's important that you understand that. Because the church is a people and not a place. But it's also personal. God knows every single one of you. 
the, being a part of a local New Testament church means something. Paul thought it so much that he would, he would write people's names down and include them in letters that he was sending on to other churches like this one. It meant something to him to have those personal relationships. Can I tell you that if you say that you belong to Jesus Christ, but you don't have personal relationships with other Christians, you're missing out first. Secondly, I don't believe you're biblical because you're supposed to be having those relationships. No man is an island, as the, as the poet once said. You need to understand that you can't do your Christian walk without others. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought all I needed was Jesus. You, that's not what I'm talking about. Salvation is of the Lord, but you need to have the relationships with one another. When Paul fell to his face and, and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ on the, Lord, on the road to Damascus, he still had to have the two guys he was with help him back to town couldn't see anything now they weren't believers but when he got there it's amazing how God brought believers to him why because it's imperative that we have those friends and associates that we know of that are believers to help us that we need that that koinonia that that kit that that drawing together of of believers together that's it's a fellowship really that's what it is so let's grab a hold of one more one more thing here I want you to skip down. Now, we, we talked about all the names last week, and we talked about everything else. So let's go to this, this last verse, verse 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now, we talked about this morning, if you were in Sunday school, about denominations and things like that. This is what I meant when, when Paul was talking about all these other churches. Wouldn't it be nice if they were all believing the same things and they could, you could say that? Uh, I was listening to a sermon uh, by John MacArthur the other day, and he said he had a friend, and he went down to preach uh, somewhere in the uh, Caribbean uh, on this particular island, and uh, they were coming together to, in the middle of the city to, to hear one particular preacher, and he said, who all's coming? And, and uh, he said, well, all, all the churches in the town are coming here to, so that we can all you know, hear this one speaker. He said, well, well, wait a minute, what are, you, are you talking about all the different kinds of churches you have are all coming together? He said, yeah. He said, we've got Presbyterians and we've got all these other groups. He said, how in the world do you get all those people together to come together and listen to, to one man preach? He said, well, because everybody who got saved on this island was listening to James Vernon McGee. We all had the same teacher. We just had different names on the churches. You see, whenever you have been taught the same doctrines, you can come together. The Bible tells us that. We, we're reminded of that in Romans chapter 15 when we, when we talked about coming together all in one mind and one body, one spirit. But I want, to go, want you to grab one more thing out of that passage right there. Look at verse 16 again. Salute one another with a holy kiss. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go back to kissing one another. I don't believe in sharing in tongues. Okay, It's not happening. It's a bad preacher joke. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. It ought to be that as brethren, we treat each other like brothers do. Now, that doesn't mean go fight in the backyard. That's what worldly brothers do. But spiritual brothers embrace one another, shake my hand, hug my neck. That's what we do. We're affectionate toward one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is that family dynamic here that Paul is trying to get across. The reason why Paul goes to all the trouble to name names and tell everybody who's coming and what their purpose was whenever he was is so that they would understand that this is a family affair. This is where the family comes together. It's like that family reunion that you have. 
you've always got that weird uncle, but you still love each other, even though he's the weird uncle. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I've got all these people that have helped me in ministry, who've come along beside me, and they're part of the family of God, right? And that's what we understand as all believers are part of the family of God. And he's specifically naming names, and he's sending them to the church ahead of him, and he says, greet these people. Salute one another with a holy kiss. It's an affectionate term. In our day and age, we would, we would liken it unto a big handshake. Somebody I haven't seen in a while, I tell you what, if I ever get back down there to South Mississippi, some of those guys I'm going to greet with a handshake and probably a big hug. I miss some of them. They were my friends for a long time. But we haven't, we haven't separated by, by much, just a little bit of distance. And if I go down there, I guarantee you, I'll find my friend Coy Rice, and he'll, my brother Coy, well, he's pastor of the church down there on the coast, and he'll come up to you, and he's a hugger. And he'll fall all over himself hugging you. And he's a big burly man. He was, uh, he was 82nd Airborne back in the early 90s. Now he's, a, he's a man's man. But he's not afraid to put his arms around your neck and hug you and tell you, boy, I've missed you. Glad you're back with us. Hope you can stay a while. Sometimes I miss living in the South like that, right? We live in the South, but this, guys, I got to tell you, this ain't the South. The South here in America, they figured it out. They have a front porch for a reason. When you come by to visit, they don't expect you to leave anytime soon. They expect you to stay. I remember when we would have people over to the house, they would stay two and three days. Y'all, I just invited them for the evening. And they'd stay two or three days. But that's the way you operate. Because these are brethren that we embrace, that we are a part of. And that's what Paul's trying to get, us, get to us here. He, he commends these people to them. Right? That's the commendation. Right? And then the next part is we get to, and, and we'll get to the message in just a minute. I'm almost there. The next part is that, is that, that uh, what did I call it? I called it something. Let me get over there. I'm ahead of my notes here, or behind my notes. Okay, the contention. I called it the contention last week, right? That's that little piece in the middle. And the reason he puts it there is it's between the commendation and then what we call on the other side of that the consecration it's between the two it's the contention and the reason he puts it in there is so that we can we can grab a hold of that truth right he says welcome all of these welcome these brethren but now be careful of this right it's a warning look at it in verse 17 it says now beseech you brethren mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them mark them and avoid them it's not it, it doesn't say kill them off it says mark them and avoid them because there are those who come in and cause contentions and divisions that that disrupt families you ever known somebody like that they come in and they, they disrupt everything. They disrupt the whole of the unity of the family. And you're supposed to mark those and separate yourself from them so that it doesn't do that. Because the bond in Christianity, the bond in Christ that we have is not to be disrupted. Not by people here who have their little contentions over here and their little contentions over there and cause division. Now, thankfully, I'm very thankful to say in this church we don't have that. But I have been in churches where there have been men who have come in and their, their own thing was to seek their own power so they'll, they'll 
start a little division over here, and they'll start a little division over there. I had a man one time who was actively, he would go in before Sunday school and was actively talking it around to have me removed as pastor. And he talked to all the men. The only reason I found out about it is because one of the men came to me and said, Brother Dan, you need to know about this. And I went directly to him. I called him out in front of everybody. We had a men's meeting one time, and I asked him point blank, Brother so-and-so, are you actively recruiting men to come against me and have me voted out of the church? And he looked at me, and he paused, and he looked around at everybody, and he said, well, yes, that's what I'm doing. And we confronted it head on. You have to mark those and, and separate yourself from them. In fact, at one point, there was a movement that was actually taking a foot to have him removed from the church because of his causing of those divisions. Now, what's interesting is when, when he found out that was going to happen, he came to me personally, apologized to me, and then turned around and faced the church and apologized to the church. And I made the church vote to accept his apology so that they wouldn't kick him out. How else were you supposed to handle it? That's exactly how to handle it scripturally. If he is truly repentant, right? And so the whole notion of the contention is it's sandwiched between two, these two passages. Now, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to read it again. Salute, and, and he uses that word greet and salute. They're almost uh, identical there. Now, the, the word salute is almost a, a more personal term than greet. But he says, so some of these salute them. That means come up and embrace them as brethren. Then he says this in verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and cause offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For they serve not such, uh, such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise the Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Then he says, Timoth Timotheus. The very next word after that little, that little piece right there is, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman, salute you. Now this is a little bit different. He says, greet these, but these guys over here, right after all this, I'm telling you, these are the ones who are saluting you. These guys are coming to you. These guys are the ones who are going to be leadership with you. They're going to help. These are my friends, my kinsmen. These are the ones that I recommend to you. And so he goes through this whole list. Gaius, mine host, and the whole of the church saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cordus, the, our brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be, unto you, be with you all. Amen. Now, we get to verse 25. And I want to tell you about the sermon today. That's where we find ourselves. This is the consecration of the saints. Now, Paul has gone through all of this, chapter 16, giving you love for the saints. You're to love the brethren and all this. Now we get down to it, and it's about consecration of the saints. Now, there's consecration a couple of different ways here in this passage. First, by the word of God, and second, by the will of God. So we're going to look at those two things. Those are your notes for this morning, all right? Consecration by the word of God and by the will of God. 
Let's start with the Word of God. Here's what it says in our passage. Verse 25, Now to him that is, uh, that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept in secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God. Pause. All of that to say this. Paul wants to make sure that you are consecrated by the word of God spoken of by the prophets and then what has come here in the gospel. Both have to happen. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are coming together. The Old Testament was not done away with. It was fulfilled. The whole point of the Old Testament was to bring you to the point where you understood how you were before God. And then the New Testament comes along and says, now we can make you justified before God. See, there are three things that God desires to do. I'm going to get ahead of myself in the will of God in just a moment, but I'm going to tell you what they are. He wants to justify you. He wants to sanctify you, and He wants to glorify you. That's what He wants to do in His will. We'll get there. That's not up there. They don't have those notes. Those are free. Okay? Don't look at me like that, Eric. But here's the thing. Back to the Word of God. How does the Word of God do this? I love a... There's a, there's a description uh, I'm going to give to you, a little story. There was a bishop in the early 1900s, or late 1800s, I should say, uh, about a century ago. He pronounced from the pulpit, and in a periodical that he edited, the, the writing he re wrote, that heavier-than-air flight was both impossible and contrary to the will of God. I find that hilarious. You'll find it hilarious, too, to know that that was written by the Bishop Wright. Now, for those of you who don't know who he is, he had two sons, Orville and Wilbur. And they created what we know as modern-day flight in heavier-than-airships. Nobody find that ironic or humorous? Well, maybe it's just me. But here's the thing. He was so sure of himself that he was wrong. And I think sometimes it's that way with us. We don't base things on the right things. We base them on what we think is the right things. That's why it matters how you divide the Word of God. That's why it matters how you, you look at it in context. That's why Tommy's teaching you guys. You guys, you guys have a significant opportunity with Tommy in, in Sunday school. He is, and I'm not, I'm not touting him just because you know, he's my friend. I'm going to tell you, he's teaching you how to take the Word and make it profitable for you. He's telling you how to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Let me give you some scripture here. Consecration of the saints of the Word of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be there for a minute, so just turn there. I need you, need you to follow along with me. Verse 1. I'll wait on you. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he had made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now let me pause for a second. Where do we see that word mystery? Well, I'm going to read it to you. You stay right there. Here's what it says in verse 26. Or excuse me, uh, verse 25. Now to him that is, uh, has the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery... 
This is the mystery right here that we're talking about. And in Ephesians chapter 3, we look again, if you will, just for a few moments here. Verse 5, or, yeah, verse, verse 4. Whereby when you read, you may understand the, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here's the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body and of the partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, you've got to understand the implications of what I just read there. The mystery is this, that the Gentiles were going to be fellow heirs of the gospel of promise. The promise was to the Jews. And the Jews are offended whenever Paul the apostle comes along and says that the Gentiles are, are heirs, fellow heirs with us. How did, why did they get that right? Well, because it was always supposed to be this way. The Jews back in the day were set up so that they would be what we call a theocracy. And you would have God leading them and people coming out of every nation, tribe, and tongue and seeing the Jews and seeing their witness of God before the others and say, yes, I want to be a part of that and would become proselyte Jews into the faith. That was the way it was supposed to happen early on. But what began to happen was Jewish religion took over. Now let me be clear on this, okay? Religion, by its definition, is man's working toward God. That's religion. And because the Jews had made their religion, them working themselves to God, they had left out the part of evangelism. See, they were supposed to proselytize. They were supposed to tell others and show others and be the people of God and show others God. God had His commandments and He set forth. He says, okay, I'm going to set these up as the moral law for you. Now, it's not about you attaining them. It's, it's not even about you keeping them. It's to show you, that's all the law can do, how you are before God. That's what the law does. You can look at them and go, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do I have any other gods before God? Well, I really think highly of, uh, of my family and my money and my, uh, my, my little statue over in the corner. So maybe I have some other gods before God. Or maybe uh, thou shalt not kill, but I really am angry with so-and-so -and, -so and I want him dead. Well, you've just committed murder. That is that commandment. You see, it couldn't do anything to you as far as, as far as saving you. All it could do is show you how you were. And so the Old Testament, would, would, the Jew would come along and he would say, I'm a keeper of the law, I'm a Jew, and, and, and he would make laws upon laws so that he could keep the law. He would have laws that would help him keep the law. All kinds of them. Thousands of them. And... and and here's the thing. Everybody came to God the same way, even in the Old Testament, as they do today. It's by faith. I mean, you read about Abraham. Prior to the law, he came by faith to God. And the same with, uh, with Adam before the law. He came by faith. You say, well, he walked with God. Yeah, but remember, he fell out of fellowship with God. He still had to trust Him the same way. And, and, and what happened is the Jew had made... A, a, a religion out of that relationship. And Christ came about and he said, you've heard it said of old this, but I say unto you this. And he would, he would set the law straight or set it straight with them. And it changed everything. And it made them mad. It made them... Nobody likes to have their religion upset. Look, you get comfortable in your religion. But God's not built around a religion. 
God is built around a relationship with his people. He desires that all men everywhere would be saved. Problem is, not everybody will be. I understand what, what my, some of my brethren would say. They'd say, well, you know, if God wills it, then it's going to be so. And some take that verse and they go and they become universalists and say, well, if God wills everyone to be saved, they already are, and don't worry about it. Then you got the other side who says, well, no, only those who, who he will will be saved. And I'm not sure how they work all that out, but whatever. Then I've got other people who say this or that. And here's what I'm going to calm it down for you and just break it down for you like this. God will never force himself upon you. He will tell you of his salvation full and free, offer it to you, but it is for you to accept it. So that's it. It's not complicated. It's just hard. And he desires a relationship with you. And he went through all the trouble to come born of a virgin, live a sinless and holy life, die at the hands of his own creation on a cross of wood that he made, and be resurrected again on the third day so that he could prove exactly who he is. And he did all that so that you would have life eternal if you would believe, if you would have faith like Abraham had faith. The consecration of the saints in the Word of God is simple. There was a mystery that was happening that God was going to engraft the Gentiles. He uses that word. It's the same word we use to, to take two plants and, and put them together. In Conway, Arkansas, down by uh, uh, the dam across from Toadsuck, there is a tree that produces both pecans and acorns. Both of them on the same branch. And I don't even know how that's possible. Horticulturally, I don't. But it, there's a plaque there and everything right down there by the lock and dam. And you can go there and you can see them in, in certain seasons, pecans and, and, and acorns. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm just sitting there looking at them going, how does that work? Well, it's been grafted in. I don't know if the pecan tree was grafted into the oak tree or how that worked, but nonetheless, it was, it was that engrafting. And that's what the mystery is. You see, the, the Old Testament saints, they, they didn't understand really where salvation was going and how, how everybody was going to be involved. But they knew at some point that the Gentiles were going to, Gentile nations were going to be involved in it. But then they, along came those, those priests and things like that that kind of manipulated the religion and made up their own religion. And next thing you know, uh, everybody else is a dog and only Jews are right. Be careful because remember we preached this from... Uh, just previously in, in chapters 9, 10, and 11 about how that, how that works in the church too. Be careful. Your, your, your Christianity can turn into religion and you start to exclude people. That's not what it's about. What it's about is saying, here's Jesus Christ the righteous and he wants to justify you. He wants to make you right before the Father. Now that means that you're going to have to repent of your sins and do them no more and, and be made in His image. And the problem with that is, is we struggle. And then sanctification starts after, after justification and that sanctification lasts all your life until you go to be with Him. And then glorification will come at one point. That's later down the road. I long for glorification at this point. We all do. So the mystery that Paul's talking about here is found here. Let me, let me finish the thought in Ephesians, and then I'll move on, okay? 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is, the grace, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath, God, hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Can I tell you exactly what that's talking about? Here's what that says. God was working in the beginning to save humanity, Jew and Gentile alike, and it's manifest in the church now going about to witness for Jesus Christ. It's taking the word of God and giving it unto the will of God. Not unto your own will. All right? One more piece of scripture with that. Since you're in Ephesians already, skip down to chapter 4. This is verse 13. Now, I'm going to preempt this. You, you look at verse 13. I'm going to read up to it. Here's what it says uh, in that same passage in, uh, in, in Ephesians in chapter 4. This is talking about the gifts, of, gifts to the church. <clears throat> Let me get over there real quick. There we go. Here's what it says. Verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the fullness, or the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 says, That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Whew, there's a lot there. Now let me unpack it for you in a couple of words here. Basically, it's this. Christ has been in the business of using his word to perfect his saints through his people. Now, I don't know why he chooses preachers. Wouldn't it be easier if an angel came down and preached to you? Wouldn't it be easier if, if, G, if the, the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, stood here and talked to you and told you about everything? That's not the way that works. God has called men to do this work, and they do it for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that you might come into that understanding or that knowledge of the Word of God. It's imperative that you grab a hold of that. Because the one thing that God says, or at least Paul the Apostle through the Holy Spirit says, I want you to be consecrated. I want you to know about the mystery so that you can tell others. Pay attention in our passage. Here's what it says. Now to him that is, uh, that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. What's the revelation of the mystery? That Christ was... In, in the Old Times and in the New Testament, here to save the lost, Jew and Gentile alike, and that we would be fellow heirs with the Jew. So we're to take, now that we understand that, that mystery, apply the Word of God to it, and put it out there for everybody else. It's not complicated. Again, it's just hard. When I tell you that we're ambassadors, from Christ, uh, ambassadors for Christ out of 2 Corinthians 5, that's what we're talking about here. Those who've been born again by the blood of Christ have this responsibility to take the word of God to other people. 
Now, not only are we consecrated, though, in the Word of God, or by the Word of God, but also by the will of God. Now, let me define that. Here's what it says in our passage in the last couple of verses. It says, Made known unto all nations for the obedience of the faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Can I tell you that it is specifically God's will for you? Specifically, God's will for us. Specifically, to take the gospel to all nations. It is His will. He told the church that, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He told it through the Apostle Paul in his writings to Timothy. He told it to the church at Ephesus. Everywhere we go, we see Paul telling everybody, do this. This is, this is what we're to do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. You've known me. which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now pay attention to that. You've been taught specifically what the Word of God says, so now we have this, this luxury and understanding that we know what the will of God is. Have you ever followed it out and, and tried to figure out what the will of God is for your life? Well, let me give it to you like this. This is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's that mystery again concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name now listen to verse 6 among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome beloved of God called to be saints it is the will of God for you. You are called saints. Those who've been born again by the blood of Christ are there. They are the saints of God. Paul reminds us of that in the very first chapter. By the time you get to the end of it, there it is again for us. Romans chapter 6, just a few chapters up. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God. That's our calling. That's who we are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I skip, I'm going to skip down some here. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Colon. Or yeah, it's colon. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The will of God? Paul says in all of these things, everything that we're doing, God's got a plan and a will for you. 
Now, we know what that is, and we talked about it earlier, and I'll just kind of go back over it. First, it's, it's the very first thing is justification. God desires all men to be saved, but we know that all men won't be. There'll be some who will stand there in the face of salvation in a need that they know they have, shake their fist at God and say, no, I won't. I will not submit to you, Lord. Well, by calling them Lord, you just did. But that's another story and that's another thing. Here's the thing. God desires to justify us, to make us right before him. You see, a holy God has to be holy and righteous and just. He can't just forget sin like that. It's got to be paid for. The sin has to be paid for. So Jesus Christ says, I'll pay it. I'll justify him before your sight. When you look at him now, you won't see him. You'll see me. And I am justified in thy sight. See, that's how Jesus Christ looks. That's how the Father looks at Jesus Christ, his son. And so when he sees someone who's been blood washed and born again, he doesn't see that person necessarily. He sees the blood of Christ applied and he's holy and righteous and therefore he is justified. Justified, not sinned. Then there's the second part, sanctification. Now, sanctification is the daily things. It's the daily obedience of that believer. It's someone who has committed his life to Jesus Christ and says, I'm going to follow in obedience to him. The first thing I'm going to do is baptize, get baptized because the commandments in Scripture are baptized, so we're going to baptize. So they come along and they submit to baptism, and that shows that on an inward level I've changed, and now I have an outward show, and I want to tell everybody that I belong to Jesus Christ, and therefore we baptize him. Then comes this whole notion of following Scripture and obedience. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Who are my father, my, my brother, or who are my brother, my sisters, my mother? Those who keep my commandments. See, those who are being obedient to him. It's not to say you'll keep them perfectly, because you won't. You're in the flesh. But the desire ought to be that I ought to strive towards it. Paul puts it like this. I press forward to the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, right? He's pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. He desires a, a clean life before God. And so in obedience, he goes after it. it. It's like you're stretching forth to a race. You get to the end and you see the finish line and, you, and you're reaching for it and you're pushing yourself. You're, you're going at it harder and harder and harder so that you can get over the finish line. That's how we approach obedience in Christ. That's sanctification. You'll be doing that, I hate to break it to you, all your life. Because the idea is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ was holy and perfect. We can't attain to it, but we're going to strive towards it. We're going to push. That's the sanctification. That's the daily work of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Holy Spirit is always there helping you to go for and press forward towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. That's what he does. The third thing happens later. I would that glorification would happen now. The best way I can describe glorification is through the rapture. Let me tell you it like this. I believe in the rapture. I'm a premillennial, premillennialist. That's just the way it is. You can like it or be wrong, whatever. Here's the thing. The rapture says we're going to take those saints who are living and the saints that are dead, and they're all going to go up to meet the Lord. Now, the ones who've gone before us, their bodies are here, but their spirits are here, and somehow they come together, and they're glorified. Now, I don't understand it. I just know what happens. I know that glorification comes when God makes us perfect before him. I don't know how the, how the, the, why the body has to play a part, 
but he takes this body, makes it perfect, and makes the, the spirit that's already there, and they come back together, and hey, here you are. Glorification. I'm excited about that part of it. I just can't get there yet. I'm hoping, praying for that day. For this is the will of God concerning you. As we close out the chapter, I want to help you with something here. At the very end there, it's more of a prayer. Paul had such a desire to see Rome. He wanted help from them. He was going to go to Spain and spread the word of God and bring it with him to Rome. He was going to come to Rome and it was going to be a glorious time. The whole of, of Romans is built on, on basically four things. My wife and I were listening to something yesterday and uh, he practically stole my thunder. But you have four basic parts to it, right? You have, and I'm going to word it a little differently than he did, but you have wrath of God at the beginning of the book. Somewhere about the, uh, the sixth, seventh, or sixth or seventh chapter, you have the grace of God. Then you come along and you have this whole, pa- this whole part in here about uh, obedience and, and faith. Then you come into the fourth part, and it's about how you live daily with them, with other people and with, with the Lord. You know, it starts in chapter 12 when you see, what does it say there? Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> well, I should have it memorized. I just don't want to misquote it to you. Here's what it says. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. You see, it's the, it's the living of the gospel, the mystery that you're a part of. Very few of us can claim a Jewish heritage. There may be one or two. I don't know about in here. But we all come out of Gentile stock. Aren't you thankful that God decided to, you know, at the beginning of things, to engraft everybody in? Well, he was going to use the Jews as a, as a way in which to show himself to the world. But they perverted it and changed it into a religion. And Jesus came along and said, I'll set things straight and make a way and by faith Gentiles come in and by faith the next generation will come the book of Romans can help you in so many ways establish your faith I pray it's been a blessing to you as it has been to me let's stand